are going to end in Philippians chapter 4. Got a few things that I want to talk about. And the, the funny part is, what did I tell you that Philippians was as far as the book? It was the Church of Philippi. But what was the main theme? Joy. Right? 19 times the word of joy. Joy. So, so when you hear like, you're like, didn't you talk about joy last week? Yes, I did. So why? Because the church of Philippi had this resounding joy in them. And, and Paul wanted to make sure that he let the rest of the world know. And so here's, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. And we're going to kind of work our way down. We're going to end with a scripture that most of us have probably heard at one uh, point in life. Uh, because even if you don't go to church, it's everywhere. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does it actually mean, okay? But let's start in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Always, everybody say always. always. Pretty much means always. Uh, be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So he's not, he's like, he's like, be full of joy. Again, I say, rejoice. In other words, again, I say, be joyful. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So Philippians ends with the, the, the first, the fourth chapter begins with, this idea that joy, and we talked about it last week, right? That joy is this thing that is inside of us that, that instead of being consumed with worry, consumed with depression, consumed with anxiety, consumed with all of the things that the world would like to throw at us, we are full of and we combat it with joy. So my first thought today is simply this. Be full of joy. Be full of joy and be considerate. That's those two words uh, and phrases in this first section of Philippians. Full of joy and considerate. Joy is the reset button of our soul. How many, sometimes you're like, man, I just need a reset. I just, I just need to, 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 to hit the pause button and then hit the reset button and allow my soul to download in this moment. And I'm telling you, it, it doesn't take a church service. It can be. It doesn't take this awe-inspiring moment where God's like, hey, you, let's reach. It could be literally in your car driving to work, and a song comes on, and you're just like, wow. It, it, it reset my soul. We need to be full of joy because joy is the reset button for our soul. Paul found it so important as you walk through the hard circumstance that joy in Jesus would keep you focused and give you perspective in the proper place. Like if you want to understand where your life is at, where is your perspective and where is your focus? Because the things that stress us out typically are not the things that God wants you to be focusing on. And, and we go back to the Peter analogy, right, where he's walking on water. And, and what was he focused on? He was focused on Jesus. It was when he took his eyes off of Jesus and on all of the other struggles. It's not that the struggles don't exist. It's not that the hardships don't come. It's not that the circumstances don't get rough. It's that they are not my focus. Jesus is. And when I allow the bills that I need to pay or my kids that are running crazy or the boss that I just want to shove in a blender Nobody else thinks that. Okay. Maybe you're the boss. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're throwing yourself in the blender. Who knows? 
Whatever it is, like when I focus on all of those things, isn't it interesting that when you focus on the things that make a lot of noise, they seem to get a whole lot noisier and a whole lot more aggravating? Like when you're upset with your spouse, if you focus on them while you're upset with them, it, it never turns out to flowers and roses and, and, and beautiful love uh, music in the background. It never. It's cats screaming and nails on a chalkboard when you're upset with your spouse. When they just, rah, 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 you're like, ugh. Never happens with me. I'm just going to, you know, just throwing it out there. Listen, life is all good. It's full of, you know, roses and daisies and jumping through flowers. When we focus on the noise, the noise gets more annoying. But when we focus on Jesus, he quiets the things around us. That's why uh, even when I'm like, when I'm going through a tough time, no matter what music uh, I'm listening to at the moment, I'll always go back to worship because worship settles my soul. I love Christian hip hop. I love Christian rock. I love all sorts of Christian music. And and, and there's not, it's not that worship music is better than, it's just there is something about worship music that settles my soul into a place where God is able to speak to me sometimes because I'm hard headed and I need to stop and, and, and like, uh, David said, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Sometimes I need to stop and I need my soul to to bless him and to say, you know, I've gotten this all off track. I've gotten this all consumed about all these other things. And I need your joy to come in and reset my soul and focus on you and give me focus and perspective in the proper place. The thing I love about joy is joy speaks to truth. It speaks the truth in the, in the midst of the lies that the enemy wants to speak to us, that you're not good enough, that, that you're, you're never going to make it to where you want. God's never going to be able to use you. Those doubts that, that creep in, those worries that creep in, the anxieties, the struggles. You'll never be able to pay those bills off. You'll never own a home. You'll never get ahead a at work. Joy comes in and says, I'm going to show you what matters. If you just lean into the, to the, to the person and the thing that holds your very future and stop trying to make a way, stop trying to force feed your future and just trust me. Like, do we trust our future to God? And I said this last week. Uh, I love the, the quote that, you know, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because that is what's so important, what's so vital is I may not know the future, but I know the God who holds my future. I know the God who cares for me enough that, that his word says that all things work out for good for those that love him. Does that mean that all things are good? No. And that's where we get a little twisted. Well, God, you said all things would work out good. Yes, you're right. You may not be able to see the good for years on end. You know, I think of things like... Um, a friend of mine who actually helped launch this church with us, who we raised up as a youth in California. He moved to Arkansas way before us, and we reunited with him when we moved here. And some of you, you know, from the, the beginning, beginning people, you, you'll remember JJ, uh, my friend, our friend from California, and, and he lived here, and he was a great guy, and he helped with all of this. And he walked through a rough patch and a rough time, uh, moved to Montana, and ended up dying two years ago, literally to the day yesterday. God, how can that be good? Why would you allow that? And I may not know the reason now, but I have to believe and trust that God has a, a path and a story that he's going to use JJ's story more than I could ever dream or imagine. 
See, here's the thing is that I don't have to know what good looks like to trust that God will make it good. How, how can war be good? It's not. War sucks. But God, can I, can I believe that you're going to do something in the midst of war that your goodness will be proclaimed like the church is rising up and worshiping in Ukraine no matter what? Churches inviting people to their churches and, 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 and hanging out in the basements away from the bombs. The churches, right? churches feeding people three times a day. We have a church in Ukraine from the organization that we were a part of, uh, Grace International. They are literally feeding people three times a day, housing them in their basement and telling them about the good news of Jesus. Is war good? No. But does, if it leads people to Jesus, I will take the winds where they are. Joy speaks to the truth. Now, here's something that I think we, we get it, it twisted a little bit. Joy is not happiness. It's not. Happiness is an emotion. I, I love this. I think I put it up there. Don't seek happiness. They may, that may seem really weird, right? Seek joy. Happiness is an emotion. It's temporal. But joy is a way of thinking. Joy is your overall perception. Happiness comes and goes. It's that roller coaster feeling, right? You know, I got a new car. Woohoo! Five years later, like, new car, payment's still here. Not so new car smell. Right? You know, that 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 good feeling of when you start dating, happiness. Been married for 18 years, you're like fighting for happiness every now and then, and then happiness comes back around and then it leaves, and then it comes back around. That, that feeling of having a kid, oh, I've got a kid. Then it like wants to, you know, stab you, whatever. <sighs> happiness comes and goes. Go on vacation, happy. Go back to work. <sighs> Joy is, is it's, this, it's this thing that is, it's your perception of life. It's funny because I'm, I, I'm around people all week long and, you know, people that have been in, Certain professions, they have a, uh, a natural tendency to kind of not trust people. <laughs> you know, part of my prayer is every morning, God, help me not to be that person. That no matter what I walk through, no matter how many bad people I interact with, help me to see your heart in all of this. Help me to see your plan in all of this. Because my perception isn't just through the lens of a badge or just through the lens of bad people, but it's through the lens of Jesus. And so although I may get stepped on and walked on every now and then, I want to trust Jesus through the focus of his lens and the perception of my life being joy. I want to be the guy that walks in and always sees the hope of a scenario. And it doesn't mean that I don't have bad moments or I don't have uh, angry moments or I don't have sad moments. It means that the joy is there always. That even in death, there can be this understanding that God is good. Circumstances don't get to define how I feel about God. And that's the biggest thing about joy. Circumstances. If I lose my job, God is good. If I can pay my bills... God is good. If I can't pay my bills, God is good. Like, my circumstances don't get to define the goodness of God, the love of God, the purpose of God in my life. Whether I am a uh, janitor at the worst, like, pile of trash place ever, or I'm the president of the free world, it does not matter. It does not change God's goodness. That's the joy of the Lord. I want to give you an insight of Nehemiah 8. Um, so Nehemiah was the governor. Ezra was the priest. 
And it says this, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, all of the church leaders, who were interpreting for the people said to them, talking to all of Israel, millions of people, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Amen. And share gifts of food with people. Get together, do life together, get in a life group who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Now listen, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm gonna get really tired of doing things on your own. Just fighting and fighting and fighting. Man, I don't understand why I can't fill in the blank. I don't understand why I can't get ahead. I don't know why I can't do this. I don't know why. Maybe it's because you're trying too hard. Maybe you just need to trust God with it. Maybe you need to say, you know what, God? I've done all that I can in the natural, and so now it's not that I'm not going to try anymore. It means that I'm going to trust a known God to an unknown circumstance. I'm going to say, God, here you are. This is yours. I've got a failing marriage. I'm going to trust you with it. I've got a, a coworker that I just can't seem to get see eye to eye with. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm, I'm going to trust you that, that instead of saying those mean, nasty words that I want to say, I'm going to trust you that I hold my tongue. Uh, I know people that sit there and say, oh, I don't watch Christian movies because they're kind of lame. And there's some truth to that. Let's be real, okay? Like, I'm not going to get up here and, you know, say that, you know, pure flicks is the greatest thing in the world. I'm not. But there's, some, there's, there's a reason why they're there, okay? There are some really good stories that come out of them. Uh, and, and one of them is, uh, oh, now, see, now I forgot the name of the movie, but it's the uh, one where, with the marriage. Um, and they've put a whole book together. I did the whole, uh, uh, anybody remember? Fireproof, there we go, thank you. Uh, and, and here's the thing about it. Like, that movie was a really interesting time of life where, where, I, where our marriage was, you know, despite what you see, it wasn't always the greatest. I mean, we had our rough patches. And, and I remember watching that movie and going, how can I make my marriage? So, so it wasn't that the acting was great, but man, the message was on point. And I was like, how do I make my marriage stronger? How do I make my marriage better? And to the point to where I bought the fireproof book and the devotion as a, because here's the thing, here, here's the one message that I really got out of that uh, was this, is that I can't be dependent upon my wife to make our marriage better, that if I want it to be better, sometimes I have to take the step forward and I have to do the things that maybe she doesn't notice yet, or maybe that she doesn't care about yet. And you know, he started cleaning up when he hated to clean up, Amen. There should be, I mean, unless you like to clean, which is weird, I guess. I don't know. For me, like, I clean because I hate a messy house. I don't clean because it, like, <laughs> but yes, there's people out there that love to clean. Like, oh, it, like, you know, you're just, you're just all excited. Me, I, I clean just because I don't want a messy house. But you, you start to go, what, what could my wife use? Is it doing the dishes? I'll do the dishes. Is it, is it thinking of her needs before she has to say them? Giving you some hints, gentlemen, and the things that I've learned, especially with Mother's Day coming up, to treat your women in your life right and to care for them. Because they, they do a lot of things that we, we, as guys, we just don't notice. 
I would encourage you, uh, there's a book called The Five Love Languages. It's a really great book. And now I know some of you guys are going, I'm not reading a book called The Five Love Languages. I'm telling you, if you'll get outside of your your manly persona and actually study what the other sex is like, you might have a, a marriage that you couldn't even dream or fathom. I'm not saying that we're broken, you know, that men are broken, women have their, it, we, we need to learn each other. I'll give you a perfect example, and I know this is kind of off topic, but I want you to, I think building t- uh, strong marriages is important. Uh, when we read the five love languages, what it does is it kind of, it talks about our strengths in our relationships. And so it gives you these five different compartments that we are kind of naturally uh, bent to as a human being, and, and we kind of figure out which one we're strong on. I'm a touch person. I like physical touch. <laughs> Some of you guys were like, yeah, okay, get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, I, it, and it doesn't have to be just sex, okay? We said the word in church. Um, it doesn't just have to be sex, I like for my wife to come up and without me having to like say something, like grab my hand. That sounds so corny and cheesy. And I know some of you are ready to take my man card. I, I like when she, you know, just and just, you know, rubs my back when we're sitting on the couch. Or, you know, especially with the bald head, you start rubbing. Oh, man, I'm like a. <laughs> I'm like a puppy dog. Uh, yeah. Look, if you wanted a million dollars, I'll figure out a way to get it. I love that. Now, if I go do that to my wife, half the time it's just annoying. She is not driven by physical touch. She's driven by appreciation and gifts. Some of you women are like, yeah. Listen, guys, it doesn't have to be diamond rings and and necklaces and and expensive stuff. What if you got up in the morning and bought them their favorite coffee? It's like $5. There's a new crack cocaine dealership at the uh, donut shop, okay? (laughs) It will fix you right up. I hate buying my wife flowers. Hate it. Like capitalized hate. I think it's dumb to spend $15, $20, $40 on things that are going to die in a week. I don't get it. It just makes no sense to me. But she loves pretty things in the house every now and then. So I go and I buy her flowers. And it it, it just stores that that bank of, oh, you're thinking of me. And, and, And the whole reason why I kind of got off on that tangent is that if we find that kind of joy and that love in our own relationships, how much more do we trust God and have that love with him? His joy, his love, his purpose in my life is my strength. So I'm not trying to do it on my own. I'm waking up every day and saying, God, I trust you with my life. Although the word of God will convict us, it won't condemn us. And this should be such a freeing thing. God's word doesn't make us feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. It may convict you because you're living in in an area of sin in your life. And and God goes, hey, mm, probably not best. Hey, if you really want to be close to me, you can't keep doing this. And he'll convict us. But joy attached itself to the changed heart and gives us God's strength. And so when he convicts us, he also gives us this encouragement like, you can do it. You can give up that addiction. You can give up that emotion. You can give up that, that, this fight or flight mode. You can give up these things in your life that don't benefit you. 
And you can be who I've called you to be. And so that's the joy that God gives us. Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life. And I love this scripture. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. God shows us the way we should live. He fills us with joy and we trust him and walk with him. That's simple. That is the simplicity of the gospel. That is the simplicity of Jesus. He's going to show you how to live your life if you will trust him. He's going to show you right from wrong if you trust him. I was having this conversation with my daughter last night. Just because, you know, you wrestle with when you're young. And, and really, I mean, I, I would it probably a lot of the same things that we wrestle with as adults. You know, why is this sin? Why, why, why is this wrong? And we were having this really great conversation about it. And I was actually showing her how I study things on biblical words and it's you know there's great websites great great websites blueletterbible.org is one of them and it can break down like the greek and the hebrew and and if you're really nerdy like me you go back to those things because they have weight to them and and i was showing her what the what the bible was saying about certain things but it was just a great conversation because i was showing her that listen culture may say one thing but jesus's word has never changed god's word has never changed what was right has been right from the beginning And when you lean into that, you're not so concerned about the wrong, but you're concerned about living for the right. Point two is this. So after we're full of joy, which, by the way, I kind of didn't point too much on considerate, but I want you to just hear that part out where it says, be considerate in all you do. It kind of comes with joy. When you're joyful, you're considerate of other people. But the second thought is this, you live with the right perspective. What does that mean? The very end of that scripture, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 5, it says, remember, the Lord is coming soon. If that's true, whatever soon is, because they wrote this thousands of years ago, and they probably thought Jesus was coming like soon. And we can easily sit here, and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, this rumors of wars and wars, and you know, we always go back to Revelation. Every time there's something bad that goes on in this world, we're like doomsday preppers. We're like, Jesus is coming. Yes, and he's coming soon, like Paul said. <laughs> and it may come in my lifetime, and it may come in my kid's lifetime, and it may come in my grandkid's lifetime. The question is, are you living like he's coming soon. Now, that doesn't mean you that you just, you know, throw cares to the wind. Jesus is coming back. I don't need to go to work. No. <laughs> That's not how this works. You will be homeless. But my work doesn't define who I am. My job title doesn't define who. Because when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for Pastor Scott. And he's not coming back for Detective Scott. He's coming back for my child, Scott. He's not coming back for Engineer Craig. He's not coming back for the plumbers in the room or the doctors in the room or the business owners in the room or the stay-at-home moms and wives in the room. No, he's coming back for his sons and daughters. And when we live with that perspective, we stop majoring on the minors. Well, you're not a Christian if. Go ahead, fill in that blank for me, please. 
I love having that conversation. Well, don't you, uh, uh, the Bible says this, and what if, what, if, what if my friends aren't doing this, or what if my family isn't doing, you can, look, can I free you guys as Christians today? You can't change anybody. That should be just like a big amen in your soul. You cannot change anyone. All you can do is live your life. Love God and show people Jesus. They get to choose what they're going to do with that. That was one of the most freeing things in my life. When I was like 20, 21 years old and I was going into full-time ministry and I thought, man, I got to save everybody. If you look at me wrong, I want to tell you about Jesus and get you to heaven. Let's go. I was that Christian that like you hid from. Oh, Lord Jesus, here comes Scott, run. I'm the spiritual SWAT team. And like, seriously, that's how I was like, I was like, oh, I'm coming in. Let's go. Jesus. People were like, run. I don't want to be with him. And I realized that, <laughs> this is the stupidest analogy ever. How many ever watched Looney Tunes, right? The little Elvira girl who always like, I want to pet you and love you and hug you. Like that was me with Jesus. It was like, I want to tell you all about Jesus. And oh my God, you got to know, you got to go to heaven. God, run away from this guy. He's crazy. I realized that when I just act normal, which I'm still not quite sure what that is, people want to be around me more. And now I, I, I have this mindset of this. Oh, I'm going to still tell you about Jesus. It's mostly going to be how I live my life. It's mostly going to be in the subtle conversations. But if by chance you crack that door, I'm running in full blast. I love it when people go, where's your church at? Oh, that's a door cracked. It's uh, on Highway 278, Sundays at 10 a.m. I'd love to. We got coffee and donuts. Let's go. <laughs> it doesn't take much to crack that door open. I had people in the police department say, oh, I'm going to get you to cuss within the first year. Challenge accepted. Let's go. Haven't done it in like 20 years. Good luck to you, buddy. Not going to happen. Just by living my life and showing them that I'm not influenced by the outside pressures of this world. You know how many of them are like, hey, when's, when's church? We've had multiple police officers here on Sundays. Most of you probably never known it. And some of them stuck around, like they consider freedom their church, and they tie to the church, and, and, and they care about the church, and they, and, and they are part of dream teams. And, and some are like, hey, we'll be there the next Sunday. Okay, cool. I had one of my captains uh, tell me this week, he goes, I think me and my wife may come check out your church sometime. Go ahead. No pressure. If you come, cool. There will be a, a smiling face waiting for you. And it's not because I run around the precinct going, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I've been to one too many corny youth group conferences. I've also wanted to smack every teenager that ever says that. We got to stop majoring on the minors. If you get, will you get to heaven if you're not baptized? Yes. What if you never speak in tongues? Most of you won't. Most of you are afraid of it. But let's just be honest. But when you're taught the perspective of what the Holy Spirit actually is about and the power of the Holy Spirit, things like that aren't scary anymore. At the same time, we've got to have a right perspective of it that speaking in tongues doesn't get people to Jesus all the time. Sometimes it scares them. 
And so, and so we use what, the tools that we've been given and we live within proper perspective, which is Jesus is coming back and I'm going to stop majoring on the minors and I'm going to minor and, and, and stop minoring on the majors. Man, we're so consumed with how church looks that we forgot the focus that Jesus saves. Jesus loves you. When we understand the ending, how could it not change our story? When you understand what Jesus has done in your life, how can you not want to tell people about it? Why are you different? Let me tell you. It's not because I found religion. It's not because I show up somewhere on Sunday mornings. It's because Jesus has radically changed my life day in and day out. And little by little, I'm getting closer and better to the person that God has designed me to be. And my story's not over. I still make mistakes. I still get mad. Every now and then, I still want to bop somebody's head. Every now and then, I say something that I shouldn't. Every now and then, me and my wife, we have a fight. And I say things that I need to apologize for. But I live with the right perspective that those things are not my driving force, Jesus is. Knowing the end changes your why, which makes your how different. I don't live to make a lot of money. I don't live to be titled pastor. I live to make Jesus famous. And if I can do that, I don't care if you remember me. I don't care if you go, oh, Scott was the greatest pastor in the world. No, he probably wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. But he was, he, you know what? He loved Jesus and he was passionate and he led a group of misfits to, to, to become something that changed the society around them in Camden. And you know what? That's worth it. I'll take my misfit group and we will change the world. And we will love Jesus and we will love people. And sometimes we'll even like them. Subtle thoughts. Knowing the ending changes your why. The third thought is this. This is a mouthful. Pray, praise, practice protection. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> You're going to understand this in a minute. We're going to read Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and Philippians 4, 8, 9. I'm going to give you a thought out of this. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> That's a hard thought. It's easy to say. Do that when the bill comes in and you go, don't worry about anything. <laughs> Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Pray about the next time you get stressed out. Don't let your emotions become the first choice. Pray. I don't care where you are. Your boss is taking you off. Just stop. You don't have to be get out loud. Dear Jesus, I pray for my sinner boss. Probably a bad way to do that, by the way. Or you're in the middle of an argument with your significant other. God, I pray. For no, 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 no. That will just make the argument 10 times worse. If you just stop, even if it's just a one-second prayer, God, change my heart to hear your words. God, don't let me get stressed out. God, if I'm going to get over-worried over and over-anxious, God, I pray that your peace would overwhelm me. When you trust God in those moments, he will show up. He doesn't have to change the circumstance, but he can change how you see the circumstance. 
Tell God what you need. Some of you think, I can't tell God. It's selfish to tell God what I need. The word says, tell God what you need. Now listen, this is not name it and claim it. This is God, I need a mansion and $3 million in my bank account next week. He's going to be like, sorry, I'm not a genie. God, I need your peace. Got you. God, God, I need your love in my life because you know what? I'm just going through a season where I don't feel loved. I got you. God, I need your perspective because mm, I'm getting really angry with this one person in my life and he's going to go, I got you. See, it's okay to tell him what you need because then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. It guards your heart. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Talking to all of you, and this is probably one of the greatest, easiest, well, not easiest, greatest grouping of words that Paul wrote. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So he says in the first segment, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, tell God what you need and his peace will guard your heart. And then he follows that up with what you think matters. The biggest issue with a lot of Christians is we have bad thought training. As we go, as soon as that circumstance hits, as soon as that, 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 that scenario hits that you weren't ready for, or that relationship isn't going the way that you want, or the, the works, workspace isn't, or the studying is hard, we, we get off of God's thought process, and then we start to think with bad thoughts and stinky thoughts, and, and I'm not good enough thoughts, and you know what, I'm just going to whatever thoughts... And it says, no, 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 no. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. When you think about these things, God's peace will be with you. We got to change our thinking. You got to invite God into your thought process. You got to tell the devil to shut up sometimes. You got to tell your mind, I'm not going to think that way. I know I'm not the only one. Um, I think it comes with being married and having kids. But anytime they're not away from me and I can't control it, I have those like negative thoughts like, oh God, what if this happens? I fear my children driving. I can't control it. And as a youth pastor, I've gotten those phone calls of a student getting an accident. And man, my, my heart like races. And I think of my own child and I go, what if? And God, like, man, I could go all sorts of bad places with those thoughts. And it can overwhelm you and consume you to make you not want to ever let them out of your grasp. And God says, hold on, have you trusted me with your kids? Have you trusted me with your family? Is your thought process lined up with me? Then you have to pray, praise, practice, and allow God's protection. I love what he said at the end. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. So here's my encouragement to you. Keep putting into practice what you're hearing every Sunday. What you're hearing at Life Group, what you're hearing in your own devotion time, put it into practice. When the Bible says be slow to, to anger, slow to speech, and quick to listen, put it into practice. When the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, put it into practice. Let's practice what we preach. Lastly, as we end Philippians 4, the art of contentment. 
This is not a self-help seminar. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, everybody get your uh, books out. We're going to go to page four and we're going to fill in this. No, no, no. But how many know there's an art to contentment? This is what Paul says. I love this. Paul, in Philippians 4.13, and we're going to read everybody's favorite scripture to read when they're going through a tough time. Okay, you ready? So we're going to start in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need. He's talking to the church of Philippi because they were actually giving him money and, and, and providing him during while he was in jail. It says, not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we love that last scripture. How many have seen a coach and a football player and a baseball player and every person trying to do anything great in their life? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is so freaking out of context. Jesus does not care if you throw a touchdown. Can I, like, he doesn't. I always crack it up. Like, people are like, oh, I'm cheering for the Rams because they have a Christian. So did the Bengals. <laughs> like, Jesus isn't going, well, score one for my one guy, score one for my other guy. Like, he doesn't care. Oh, he's the greatest teacher because he's, he's a Christian. No, he's the greatest teacher because he learned. He's a great guy because he loves Jesus. Paul is writing, not I can do all things through Christ so that you can get like a cool bumper sticker. <laughs> he's saying this because if you put it into context, he's saying, listen, I know what it's like to live on nothing. I also know what it's like to live with everything at my fingertips. I know what it's like to, to just go to a feast and just pig out. And I know what it's like to have my stomach starving. But through all of that, God has shown me the contentment in my life that I can survive and thrive in every scenario because of Christ who strengthens me. That's what that scripture is saying. It has nothing to do with whether or not you score five touchdowns or get an A on your test or you're the star person at work. It has nothing to do with any of that other than the fact that it is about being content in Jesus and how you live your life. I can do all things through Christ. Does that mean... Yes, it also means in your relationships, and yes, it also means in your workplaces, and yes, it means in all these other scenarios of your life. But don't just pull it out as one of those catchy sayings that we love to say. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What? I've heard that so many times where people are like, Pastor Scott, I know I can get an A on this test because I know that through Christ, I can, he strengthens me. No, you moron, studying does that. We, listen, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm telling you. When I talk about like not being the best pastor in the world, like as a youth pastor, me and my wife believe this. When students would come up and, Pastor Scott, we need prayer for a test. No, you don't. You need to study. You don't need prayer. You need to, Pastor Scott, I want to be a better worker. You don't need Jesus. You need work ethic. Like, Stop going to prayer for things that you can do. That has nothing to do with Christ giving you strength. Now, if you want to be a better person in your workplace and you're doing everything you can in the natural, then yeah, Jesus, help me to be more willing and more loving to my work uh, relationships. Help me to be a better servant to my boss. That's a different story. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me is because I've learned what it means to live in the art of contentment. This scripture was never about boasting in an action 
of your life, but everything to do with boasting in the person of Christ in you. This is always about living in whatever season you are and trusting and knowing that God has you and will walk with you and guide you. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. God's strength is where the impossible becomes possible. Some of us haven't seen miracles because we haven't relinquished our trust to God yet. And we're also not looking for the miracles. What you're walking through is a miracle. Six years of not knowing what's going on with your back. just of, And we can say, well, it's medical science and doctors, and we finally just found the right one. It took six years and prayer. Finding the right relationships. Maybe it took trusting God and believing in miracles and being open to his way being content with whatever season. Listen, some of you that are still single, you need to be content in your single life. And I know it's easy to say that 18 years into marriage. But if you want to find the one, sometimes you need to stop looking for everybody else and just trust him. That in the right season, God will provide all you need. See, this chapter, the Philippians chapter, challenges us to shift our perspective and make sure God is the focus. If I can say anything out of this is that Philippians 1 through 4 really challenges us to shift our perspective and our focus off of our circumstances, off of our wants and desires, and say, Jesus, what do you want? Isn't that kind of what, as we enter the Easter season, that's what what we should? Jesus, I want to shift my focus off of all of these desires and all these things and what you did on the cross. How we think changes how we speak and how we act. God gives us joy no matter the season we walk through, and therefore, I can do anything. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to practice God's word and focus on prayer and joy. And when we do that, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God, and watch what happens. Because God will spark a little flame in our life that produces my favorite words for the year, now faith. As we go through this season, what are you not trusting God with that you need to start? I think we all have that. There are things that I, I, I have that I go, God, I just, I want to hold on to. Maybe you just need to let go of. It may be something simple like the words you use. You don't understand Scott, I, I, I've cussed my whole life. It's just a word. Words have power. That word has a power. Can I tell you that when you can't stop saying vulgar stuff, it's typically because it has a power on you. I, I, I want to speak holy words. And it's not, once again, when I say that, it's not about running around, you know, speaking all these grand the, theological words. It's, 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 the Bible says that I'm going to be a life giver. Is it life giving when you, when, when you use foul language? No. You don't understand, Scott. I, I'm a negative person. I, I have these thoughts that, that just, they, they run through, that, that are constantly negative. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely. Think on these things. It is a, listen, you have to do it. God isn't going to do it for you. He isn't just going to take your brain and, and dump. 
you got to start the steps of faith. I'm going to think positive thoughts. I'm going to say positive things. When I want to say evil words to somebody because they've made me mad, I'm going to say nothing at all or I'm going to pray. That's it. And you've got to have the self-discipline to do that stuff. I'm going to focus on Jesus this season and watch what he does. For some of you, the miracles are right around the corner if you'll just keep pressing in. I want, to, I want to see my family follow hard after God. Keep pressing in. Keep being the example. When nobody else is watching, keep reading your word. Keep praying. Keep, keep pressing in. Uh, God, I'm, I, you know what? I don't feel you, but I'm going to trust you in this moment. Been there, done that. Road, I, I've got that bumper sticker. I don't feel you, God. I'm praying. I'm, I'm hitting, my prayers are hitting walls. Everything seems crazy. Everything seems nuts. But God, I'm just going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep reading my word because I know at some point that dam is going to break and your spirit is going to flood my soul. And I know it is right around the corner and I'm trusting you. Don't quit too soon. Don't. That's what the enemy wants. Says, ah, John, it's not worth it. We know the real you. No, God knows the real you. He knows what you've been called to do. You don't even know yet, probably. But God knows. And he's working on you. And he's, he, and he's saying, in each and every one of you, God is going, I see it. I see it in you. It's starting to come out. I see it. Just trust me. Let's, write, let's, let's run this journey together. That's what Philippians is about. I'm going to keep my focus on Jesus and I'm going to be content no matter what. And I'm going to speak of joy and I'm going to live of joy. I'm going to change my life one day at a time. Let's pray. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're you're hearing this and you're going, I don't. Here's what I feel. I feel like there are people out there saying, I'm not worthy of God's love. Why would God choose to love me after the things I've done or the things that I've said or the things I've thought? Why would God love me? Let me speak to you that that is the enemy's lie and he wants nothing but to have a great relationship with you. And if that's you this morning and you're saying, I just want to trust God with my life, and I want to love him. I want to live for him. If that's you, would you? Just, nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. God sees those hands. It's not about whether I see them or whether anybody. It's about God sees your heart in this moment. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know what? I feel like I'm in a pretty decent part of my life, but man, I just, I really want to put these words into, into action. I want to live more of a Philippians lifestyle. I want to trust God. I want to focus on joy. I want to focus on holier words and I want to lean into what God has for me this in that season. If that's you, would you, I want to pray for you. Would you just let me know that that's you? I just, I want to lean into God. Amen. 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 Jesus, I pray for each and every person that raised their hand, whether it was, man, I just have not been able to trust God, or I'm just, I'm in a season where I am leaning into God, and I am trusting him more and more every day. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us. Every day that we wake up, we would be encouraged deep down in our soul to spend some time with you, to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time with worship music on, and just allow your spirit to flood our lives, that, God, we won't think and speak the same way that we used to. We won't allow the same 
lifestyle choices to create us bad paths and bad habits. We're choosing you. We have self-discipline to to say, no, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this. And I'm going to live in joy. We choose joy. God, as a church, we choose joy. We choose your love. We choose your kindness. We choose your mercy and your grace. God, help us to live in those. And as Paul writes, help us to be content in all things. Because of your strength, Jesus, we can do all things. So, Father, we love you. I pray blessing over our people, but even more so, I pray that they are a blessing to the world that they're going to interact with this week. Jesus, we go to make you famous. We love you, Father, and in your name we pray. Amen. 